Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Hey, before you sit down, why don't you greet the person next to you and say, God is greater. Somebody might need a reminder in the house today. And I give you permission, if you're driving down the road, roll your window down and yell at the person next to you and say, God is greater. Amen, amen. You guys can have a seat. Do what? Okay. God is good. I don't know. I thought you said talking's good. I'm like, I'm going to do a little bit right now, so I hope so. Hey, so I have the honor and privilege of doing several things as being the pastor of this great church, and one of the things that I get to do is I get to celebrate when people take steps of faith. And Chris and Jill, I would just like to honor you. You guys, if you guys would stand, please. Um, Chris and Jill, they are new to Taylorville, been here for a little while. They are the newest members of Calvary Baptist Church. Good to have you here. Hey, at the, at the end of the service, if you guys can have a seat. Um, so at the end of the service, I would love it if you guys would just go to the back four or Some people would probably like to high-five you, hug your neck. And Chris, maybe you want to give them some secrets in fishing and stuff. I don't know. Maybe. He's good. He's good. All right. So if you don't want to know about fishing, he's got that too. They love fishing. So, hey, it's so good to be here. It's good to honor Steps of Faith. I'm so grateful um, to get to know you. And you are the type of people who we just so welcome here at the church. You hit the ground running ready to serve and ready to jump in and just to be a part of the family of God. And all of those things are honorable to the Lord. So I'm thankful for you, and I give glory to God for what he's done. You know, we're jumping back in a series that we've been in for a little while. I took a one-week hiatus for Father's Day. But we're jumping back today now into our Moving Mountain series. And we're talking about this, this interplay of belief and faith and hope and all of these things going together and what we, we've really been digging into is how can a person of the kingdom of God access the power of God? How, how can we do that? Do we have the authority, the God-given authority to have access into the power of God to bring about the kingdom of God here on earth? And the astounding answer is yes. So we've been talking about that for several weeks. And we've been talking about that in a, in a grand way, in big way so far. And now... Today, what we're going to talk about is in more of the personal day-to-day, the expectations as to you and I, as to um, the monotony of life. And one of the things that we find monotonous in life is this thing that we call work. Anyone think that's monotonous? Sometimes it can be monotonous. I, I just, I'm just wondering, what was your favorite job if you've ever worked? If not, surprise, there will be a day where you work. But what was your favorite job? And then also, what was your least favorite job? I've had some great jobs. And I've had some not-so-awesome jobs. Um, Cleaning grease traps at fast food restaurants, not so great, just so you know. Cleaning pots and pans in the Navy for thousands of people as they come through the line and we feed them. And I'm the only one in the scullery. That's the dishwashing area. I'm the only one there with just this, I mean, just an endless counter of pots and pans. And I remember whenever I was in the scullery, Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you have done today and what you will do. God, you're so faithful to your word. And Lord, we're just people. 
simple, sometimes stubborn people. Holy Spirit, help us not to resist the Spirit or to grieve the Spirit, but help us to live in the flow of the Spirit. Help us to be people who who pray prayers that are bold prayers because we've been given access to the power of God and we've been authorized to use it. Help us, Jesus, to to maintain the faith that we need to continue to pray those mountain-moving prayers. We pray in Jesus' holy, powerful, and precious name. Amen. Different. Uh, The work ethic that I was passed on to me, which I'm thankful for in some aspects, is, hey, you should work, and this is just, it's a good thing for people to work. And we all say amen to that, right? Amen. Work is a good thing. However, one of the things that I did not have passed on to me because I wasn't raised in this a legacy of faith and hope is I didn't have a way of connecting a, a, a walk, a spiritual point with my work. So I would work, and it was a strong work ethic, and I, I tended to think that if I worked hard that I was going to have things that were just naturally given to me because I worked hard. And that's just simply not true. That was my expectation because my expectation was if I work, somebody's going to notice, and when they notice, I'm probably going to get something because they noticed that I was working hard. So did I earn it, or I was thinking, did I earn it? Absolutely. But I thought that I would be recognized. The thing is, you're not always, somebody's laughing because you're not always recognized. Sometimes people just let you spin, 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 do all the work and sit and watch you. What I want to offer you up today is a way to to not only add value to your work, the work that you do, maybe it's, it's not even paid work anymore. Maybe you're retired and now your work is more as a volunteer in, in some aspect of that, but I want to add value into your work and right in what we're talking about in Jesus in the model prayer, he brings the monotony of life and even our work and the pursuit of things that we need to sustain us to the spiritual forefront. But first I want to begin in Matthew 7, verse 7 through 12. Because the assumption, if we are red-blooded Americans, the assumption for most of us, unless you're a younger generation, is that you should work, it's required to work, and when you work, somebody's going to notice. That's the expectation as, a, as, a, as an American. If I work hard, then I can start out here, and then I can make it here, and then I can make it here, and that one day, as an American, it's something we've been taught is if I do that long enough, then eventually maybe I'll be the boss, and then maybe that I'll, have, I'll be able to take it easy because I've worked so hard. This is all part of the American dream. That's the assumption that goes with the American dream, and that's the assumption that we have passed on to one another generationally. There's an assumption that's made in this passage in Matthew 7, and we'll get to it in just a moment. Matthew 7, verse 7 says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened to you. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? And if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. So this sums up the law and the prophets. I want to 
speak to you briefly about this passage, and we're going to use this as a segue into the main passage also in Matthew. At the very beginning of this passage in verse, in verse 7 and 8, there's an assumption that's being made in the first century amongst the time of the New Testament. There were certain codes that they lived by, and one of the codes that existed in their culture that is different, than, different in ours, certainly different than those who were raised in the West. And the assumption in verse 7 and 8, let's jump back into it briefly, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, for, for he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks a door will be opened. The expectation in their culture is this, that there were hospitality codes in their culture and in their day that Jesus is touching on. And he says, ask, seek, and knock. The assumption is this, because of the hospitality code of the day, that if somebody knocks on your door and asks you for something, whether it's a neighbor or a stranger, that you would give them what it is that they're asking for because that was the hospitality code of the day. Jesus is he's playing upon this hospitality code of which would be the expectation in their culture, and he's adding a deeper value to it, and he, he, he touches on that. And he's talking about asking God for things in prayer. So now, as that as a caveat in verse 7, let's go back into it. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks to receive. For he who seeks finds and to him who knocks a door will be opened to you. There's a great satisfaction at the level of your soul knowing this this morning if you're in Christ. That means that you can go to the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will listen. And then if you pray in accordance with his will because you have the authority given to him and because you have access to the power of heaven, you can see the power of heaven released here on earth in Jesus' name. This is the expectation, and this is the, the, the play on words that Jesus is going to talk about because they would have lived about this hospitality code. Everyone would have known about the hospitality code of Jesus' original audience. But there's something more. In verse 9, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? And if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? What Jesus is talking about is when you go to your heavenly Father in prayer, it's not some bait and switch. Because what's being referenced here is a loaf of bread could look like a stone. How you doing? <laughs> Must have thought it was good. I know I have a big mouth, but man. So Jesus is saying there's not a bait and switch. So he uses this, this word play of talking about the bread and the stone. And then he also talks about the fish and the snake because some fish can actually look like snakes when they're in the water. And if you look at a distance, you, would look at, you could look at a loaf of bread and it might actually look like stone. And Jesus is saying, when you go to your heavenly Father in prayer, it's not a bait and switch. He's not promising something that he will not deliver on. Someone in the house needs to know that this morning. That it's, Jesus is not offering a bait and switch. When we pray and we've been given the opportunity and the access to, to have the power of heaven brought down to earth, it's not some, some bait and switch. It's not Jesus saying, yes, you can have this, but yes, he's going to offer something smaller and lesser. It's not a matter of deception. 
It's a matter of trust. Now that, as the caveat, allow us to to sit in that for a moment. Then we're going to jump into Matthew 6. And we're going to look at verses 9 through 11. We're really going to just jump into verse 11, but I want to have a running start. Matthew 6, 9 through 11. Passage of Scripture that we've been in now through the whole series. Jesus says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're going to put the brakes on right here. Give us today our daily bread. Are there any bread lovers in the house? Anyone love bread? I love bread. doesn't matter what kind of bread. Bread doesn't love me, but I love bread. Because bread has carbs. I found this out later. It has a lot of them, which it makes you feel good. Um, I could go a bunch of different directions with this, but I won't. Instead, so I'll go a spiritual direction for you if you're filling in blanks. Daily bread, there you go, there's a transition. It was rough, but it works. Daily bread comes by our daily work and our daily walk with Jesus. If there's a bullseye for this passage and connecting all that we're going to talk about this morning, if we're going to sit back and if I were to paint a picture and say, wow, that, is, that would be the target we're aiming at, this is it. Our daily bread comes by our daily work and our daily walk with Jesus. So there's a physical attribute here and connection and also a spiritual attribute here about our daily walk with Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, filling in blanks as some do, the first one, and I make these blatantly obvious, at least I have for this series, it's give us today. So I'm going to break this up into two different categories, if you will, two different, I'm going to outline two different ways in this passage. And the very word give is is an invitation It recognizes our basic needs and our basic needs, not as a result to our own doing necessarily, but seeing that the meeting of our needs is a gift from God. Because you may say, yes, I work for the money that I earned, and I earned that money by the sweat of my brow, but one has to ask the question, where did you get the energy to produce the sweat of which produced the work that you earned the money to go buy the groceries? You didn't do that. You, You played a little part in it. But Jesus equipped us and made us in a certain way to be able to have energy. Of the three energy systems that every human being have and some some other created things have, the energy systems that we have, we didn't create those ourselves. God has woven woven all of those into our lives for us to have energy to do the work, to sustain life, to glorify Him, and to bring good into the world. So you may say, well, pastor, what are you getting at? What I'm getting at is this, our work and our sweat equity into building what we consider the good life is also a gift from God. It's all a gift from God. That we simply interplay with that. But if I'm blatantly honest with you, I think that we've gotten off kilter in understanding the value of work, really the value of earning And seeing work as something that should contribute into the world rather than just contributing into our bank account or contributing into some some sinking fund or contributing into a 401k or contributing into some sort of pension plan. I think we've missed this. 
And, and that would be older generations that maybe missed it in that area, but I think some, some younger generations have actually missed it in a completely different perspective. This is a direct quote of something I saw online this week. This was, this was somebody who was younger in his 20s. He said this, Do they actually think that it's right for me to have to work for food? And every sane person said, Yes. But this young person who literally, he was, he was mad thinking that how, why should he have to work just to have food? This is the world that we live in. So we have one generation who maybe understands the value of money a little bit better, but yet they're stockpiling that and storing that away and not even understanding the value of the work that they're in the middle of. And yet we have another generation who says, work, what's that? That's for somebody else. My point is this, we all need to understand into a deeper sense the value of our work and what it is that that God is doing in the midst of our work. This this passage, it says, give us today. Give us today. Jesus is pointing on the day-to-day reliance on him. Day-to-day. There's not a day that goes by that you, you and I are not dependent on him. Maybe it's for the very the air that we breathe or the employment that we have or the transportation to get there or the very fact that the laws, the natural laws are still in play. I was kind of geeking out this week and I'm not going to get into it because some of you don't really go there like my mind does, but I was thinking, wow, we are blessed that the, that the, the Newtonian laws, Isaac Newton's, the, the three laws, we're, like, we're so blessed that they're actually true. Because could you imagine if they weren't true? Could you imagine that if the, if the laws of physics actually weren't true? That, that we wouldn't be stationary here in this place and that the earth wouldn't be on the, the tilt of its, act, its axis in the way that it is and we're not rotating around the sun like we do? Could you imagine if gravity didn't exist? Like, I don't know where you would be and I don't know where I would be, but I'm pretty sure we wouldn't be together. Think about it. Every day is an opportunity to rely on God to provide for what we need to, be, to sustain life day to day. You see, we do our part for sure, but we also trust that God would do his part. So does that mean that, that if you need a job, that you just sit at home and you just look at your computer waiting for somebody to send you an email for a job opportunity? Is that what that means? Is that what that means? Somebody help me. No, it doesn't. It means that if you need a job, and, and it's a job that requires a resume, that, that, that you and I, we put together a resume. And I hate putting together resumes. I hate it. Because it's like you put together things to like brag about yourself, and it seems prideful, but yet that's the only thing they want to see. They don't want to know, like, how have you failed in the last you know, 20 years? Like, they don't want that list. They want your highlights, you know? So I'm at odds when putting together a resume, and then, then they, like, sift through, and they're like, oh, you're, you're the best, and you're better, and you're good, and you're not as good, or whatever, and however it is, they sort it through. But the thing I like least, I think even less than resumes is interview processes. And it's just, it's just so nerve-wracking, because if you need a job, and you've got to go through the process, or you want a job, you have to go through the process of the interview, and everything about that process is critiquing you. I remember I had one interview, it stands to be the worst interview I've had of all time. I was pursuing this job, and it was one of those jobs that that had a lot of responsibility and it had several tiers and several interviews and phone calls. And, and I was like 
deep in the process. It was probably like three interviews deep. And this was the first time that I was actually meeting with some of the people face-to-face. And I remember that I was meeting with them over lunch, and we met at this, this little pizza smorgasbord or like a pizza buffet. And, and so I love pizza. And the thing I learned really quickly is you don't want to look like a hog, right? So you're just like, I realize I'm at the hog trough, but I can't be a hog. I can't just like pound that pizza. And it would look good. But, but I'm, I'm there, and what the oddest thing, and the reason why I made it so weird is I was the shortest person there, and there were four other people with me, and they were all ladies, and I think they were all from the land of Nephilim. They were all very tall, and it made me feel really small. And then, and then we were seated at a booth, which does not make a small person feel big at all. And it had a tall back, and their heads went to the top of the thing, I remember, but mine not so much. I, look, I felt like a kid was invited to the adult table, and I'm like, and they're, and they're interviewing me. This is going to go really well. Remarkably, I actually did go to the next step in the process, and then, and then God said no. But I think, I thought every part of that was like a green light, but I didn't like the process, and it was weird, and it was awkward, and, and the resumes and the interviews, I didn't like that. But in, in the midst of that, I was seeking the Lord to see what see he would have for, for us to do next. But I was doing my part, but I was trusting that God would do his part. And you know what God did? This has only happened one other time in my life. At the very last interview of all, the whole process, I'm there with the, the boss and the second in command. And we met at a Panera Bread. And they were already there, and they're standing there. I'd snooped online, so I knew what they looked like. I'd never talked to them, never seen them. This is prior to Zoom and all that. But I remember walking into the Panera Bread, and as soon as I stepped foot into the Panera Bread, out of the threshold, I saw them, and God said, this isn't for you. And I knew that the rest of my time was going to be wasting time because I knew that wasn't for me. And what was remarkable about that is I did my part, and I trusted that God would do his part. And you know what? He did. And he closed that door before I could, and he closed it so tight that even in my stubbornness, I couldn't pry that joker open even if I wanted to. Because I noticed their face too, and it was like God told them at the same time, this isn't him. And praise God, my, our lives could have been totally, totally different if that would be the case. We do our part and trust that God would do his part. William Barclay makes a connection with this and also to prayer. He said this, God's bounty and human toil must combine. Prayer, like faith, without works is dead. So God's bounty, his provision and human toil, the work, the effort, the striving for us while we're here on earth, those two things must combine. Just like what Barclay says, that prayer with faith has to combine. We often pray for the physical and often neglect the spiritual. When's the last time you prayed prayers like this where you've prayed and you've asked God to handle the crisis you're in instead of praying the crisis away? When's the last time that you've actually asked God, say, God, I'm in the middle of this crisis, and instead of saying, God, could you take the crisis away, instead saying, God, would you give me the power and the strength to endure the crisis that I'm in? You see this, this is the key. God is in the middle of the striving. God provides the sweat And yet God provides the victory after it. That's a good place for a better amen than what you gave me. Think of a a story. This is 
a profound story to me, and, and Marlon, I know this individual. There's a gentleman who lives in uh, San Jose, Dominican Republic. He's a native of, of North Georgia. He's a man of God. His wife is a woman of God. They have great kids. Craig is his name. He had a vision about planning a series of churches in the Dominican Republic. So in seeking the Lord, he, he was led to go to the DR, and then he did what the Scripture would say, and he went village to village looking for a person of peace by which that he would not only do ministry there, but live there. So he asked the village elder for permission to live in that village, but he also told him exactly what he was going to do, that he was going to bring a water house, that he was going to have a medical clinic because his wife is a nurse, and that he was going to share the gospel. The village elder said, yes, you can. And, and so in praying and asking that God would provide the opportunity, God provided the opportunity. But the opportunity and the land that he, that he got was barren land full of vegetation. And if you've ever been to any sort of Caribbean country out, out of the city, you know that just the scrub, the stuff grows so fast. And the land that he got was not cleared, and quite honestly, it was a mess. So sure, he, he, he prayed and asked God to bring him to a place, and it was San Jose, the Dominican Republic. And God's done incredible things in that ministry there that now his, his name locally is Pastor Nico. Pastor Nico now has discipled many Dominican pastors, and now they are pastoring other villages and planting more churches in other villages all around that area, and he's simply a support to them. But how it all started was he prayed and asked God to give them the land, and he gave them the land, but he had to manually clear the land. He spent a whole season with machetes, pickaxes, and shovels to clear the land. So we may ask God for daily bread, but he may just give you a shovel. You may ask God for daily bread, but instead of just giving you the very thing that you want, instead, he gives you the means by which to be part of the solution that you want. So not only does he shortcut it and be like, well, here's your bread. Instead, he gives, sometimes he gives us a shovel, and he gives us the ability to actually do the thing that he wants us to do to begin with. How could we summarize everything that we've talked about so far? Good question. I think we could summarize it by saying this. Daily bread comes by our daily work and our daily walk with Jesus. Daily bread comes by our daily work and our daily walk with Jesus. Did you know that the scriptures actually warn us to stay away from people who, are part, who consider themselves part of the faith and who are actually lazy? Did you know that? Scripture tells us to, to maybe avoid those people, not for the sake of shaming them, but maybe for the sake of causing distance between us and them because part of their idleness leads to a bad way of life and, and the very pulling away should be the thing that reveals if they're true Christians for them to repent of their sin, to ask what's wrong for them to come back into the fold. This is what the passage says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 13. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked hard, or we worked, excuse me, I added a word, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we could not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, 
but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. Even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he will not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. As for you, brothers, never tire of what's good. That's a warning. That's a command. If there's somebody who's part of the fold and they're, they're not doing what they're supposed to and they're lazy, instead of us going in to, to swoop in to provide all their needs, we have to ask the question, are they simply busy bodies and they're not actually d- busy doing the work that they're supposed to be doing, that God is calling them to do? And this is not just work outside the home. This also could be work inside the home. You see, our work can be our calling if we see it as a means to serve God in our world. It's it's an interesting way that we look at this in our culture, and some of this, I think, has been lost through translation. A man's work or his vocation is is his calling. The, The the root of the word vocation is the Greek word, or excuse me, it's the Latin word vocare. Vocare is, is the root of the common word vocation. So call is rooted in vocare, and vocare is the root of the word vocation. Those who have callings on God are not just those special people who are called into special assignments. Every follower of Jesus Christ has a mission from God, and the work that they do is part of their calling to bring good into the world and to glorify God by what they do. Because our work can be our calling if we see it as a way to bring good into the world and glorify God. There's some other passages of Scripture. I'll fly through these. Proverbs 30, verse 8 says this, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. There's another connection farther back in the Old Testament. In Exodus 16, this in reference to the manna that God provided. And this is what the passage says in verse 18 and 19. And when they measured it by the, by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. They, centuries before Jesus would step into the earth as the God-man, centuries before they're learning the value of daily bread, of waiting on God, and living by faith. So not only do we see the, the beginning part of this, give us today, but now we talk about our daily bread and not the quarterly periodical that you can pick up in the foyer, which is good too. The word daily is an interesting word. This is the only time it's actually used in the Bible, this particular word. And this, this particular word is peculiar, and it's led, led people into maybe interpreting in a bunch of different ways. And I'm not sure if any of these ways are right. Maybe they are. Maybe they're all right. But one of the ways that people are led to believe this because of its, its rare usage, some people believe that this is just a reference to taking the Lord's Supper. Others just 
believe this is a reference to spiritual food, meaning the word of God. Others believe that this just, has to, this just stands for Jesus himself. And then some tend to believe that this has to do with the bread that we will receive in the heavenly kingdom. And that because of what Jesus said in Luke 14, 15. He said, blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But because of its rare usage, we're not really sure. But here's a, here's a, little, a, a little help for you to understand the Bible a little bit better. If at any time you are confused about what the Bible is saying, you should first go to what the Bible clearly says in the plain reading of the passage. Scholars may be confused and scholars may dig into things and and people who write commentaries, they dig into things and sometimes they make things more complicated than what they need to. The Bible was was written in such a way that that you and I would be able to use it as, as daily bread spiritually. So if there's ever a time where you're confused about what the Bible means, read the Bible and, and most likely the plain reading is actually the best understanding that you can get from that passage of Scripture. Because the Word of God was, is, is conveyed generationally not so that some spiritual person who is high and mighty or maybe has a position or somebody who, who has lofty opinions and lofty knowledge would read the Bible and tell you what it means, but that all of us, even to the level of being children, would be able to read it and understand it. It's to be our daily bread spiritually. This word for daily, not that long ago, there was actually a a fragment, a rare fragment that they used to write on, a, a material called papyrus. And there was a rare fragment that was found And this happened to be uh, an Egyptian fragment. And and what was interesting is the fragment that was found that used this this particular Greek word, the same word used for daily, was found on on a woman's shopping list. And she was using it to say the food that she would get tomorrow. So she was actually using it as far as daily bread, the very thing that would sustain her in the next day which is remarkable. I love how there's still things that we dig up historically that help the Bible make sense. You see, we can trust God for each day's physical and spiritual needs. I bring back to you the simple point, this isn't a matter of bait and switch. What God promises, God delivers. If God does not promise it, God is not guaranteed he will deliver it. But God delivers on what he promises. You see, if we're fair and we're honest, we will dwell with God and he will supply our daily needs. Another passage of scripture in Isaiah 33, 14 through 16. I'll set the stage and some of you can flip there if you'd like to in the Old Testament. 700 years approximately before the birth of Jesus. The the day and age, the, the people of God, the Israelites were being oppressed by the Assyrians. The Assyrians were led by a gentleman by the name of Sennacherib. And I think I say it differently every time I say it. So Sennacherib, there you go, two in a row, must be right. So they were being oppressed, and so he was trying to conjure them, uh, and he was trying to, to manipulate them and trick them. And what this Egyptian leader told the people of God at the time was if they would give some things to him, that he would make it easy on them. It was, in essence, the bait and switch, and he did not do that at all. So God writes this particular passage 
as a woe, which means, as the word implies, woe, like an attention-getting woe, like you're doing something wrong. This is the sixth woe in a line of woes against this Assyrian leader, but also it's a message to the people of God. This is what it says. The sinners in Jerusalem shake with fear. Terror seizes the godless. Who can live with this devouring fire, they cry. Who can survive this all-consuming fire? Those who are honest and fair, who refuse to profit by fraud and who stay away from bribes, who refuse to listen to those who plot murder, who shut their eyes to all enticement to do wrong. These are the ones who will dwell on high. And might I add something? This is the way to live a blessed life. The passage continues, the rocks on the mountains will be their fortress. Food will be supplied to them and they will have water in abundance. They had been cheated and yet in the midst of this, God provides this blessing for them and for us. And it says, if you live your life in an honest and fair way, If you refuse to profit by fraud, if you stay away from bribes, if you stay away from those who plot murder, if you refuse or if you shut shut your eyes to those who are enticed to do wrong, you will be blessed by God. You will have your daily bread. You will have your needs met. You don't have to seek the pathway of corruption. You can be fair and honest in your dealings. God sees you, God knows you, and God will supply your needs in accordance with his bounty, in accordance with his will. And as I bring this to a close, I also want to give you this this bit of encouragement. This is a direct quote from Scripture from the New Testament, Matthew 6. We also don't need to worry about our daily bread. We don't need to worry about how God is going to provide for us spiritually. We don't need to worry about how God is going to provide for us physically. Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 25 and 34, through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and your body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. Now he's drawing upon nature. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. The godless run after those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all things will be given to you as well. Therefore, Jesus closes this passage. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Rest in this, friends. 
God takes your spiritual needs seriously. He takes your personal needs seriously. Because he knows you and he loves you. If you don't know him, I want you to know he still knows you. He still made you. Your path could be one of wreckage. You could have lived a life of rebellion against him and any sort of authority figure. And the good news is this. Jesus still says that I am the bread of life in John 6. He says, if you want eternal life, Jesus says the offer is available for you. No matter the life that you've lived, you can live a life that's blessed by God in the future. But how do we, how do we take that life? It's a remarkable truth. We actually take that life by relinquishing our life. You first have to give your life to God in humility, reflect upon Jesus dying on the cross of him giving his life for you. So we lay down our life in surrender, our brokenness, our sinfulness. And then after the act of repentance, Jesus offers a life that's better than the one that we had before that. It's one that he calls abundant. That just doesn't bring us into heaven one day. It allows us to access the power of heaven today. And Jesus isn't going to deceive you. This isn't some big spiritual trick. It's the way, the only way that you can be right with your heavenly father. And it's the only way that you can be assured that you will go to heaven someday. Let's pray. Jesus, I don't know the work that you're doing today, but I know it's so much more grand and broad than me. I don't stand upon my own words. I stand upon your word. I don't stand upon my eloquence if I had any to give. I stand on the authority of the word of God. Jesus, you invite us into a prayer life that is so much bigger than what any of us could even imagine. You invite us into a power that is is so much more substantial than the little bit of agency and power that you've actually allowed us to have just as human beings. Jesus, help us to have the humility to wield that power, the power of heaven effectively. As we respond in singing and kneeling and praying and however it is that you have decided that people are going to respond today, God. God, I just want to lift you up. Jesus, I want to lift you up. I praise you, Jesus, that you're not still on the cross. Because if you were still nailed to the cross, then then you would just be a man who just died for people. But you were nailed to the cross, you died on the cross, and you resurrected on the third day to prove that you were the God-man. The only one capable and qualified to deliver us from our sins. We rejoice in that fact. 
and the faith that we have by it.